is UU Utah Phillips, the golden voice of the great Southwest. And you're listening to Loafer's Glory, the hobo jungle of the mind. Much madness is divinest sense to a discerning eye. Much sense the starkest madness. Tis the majority in all this, as all prevails. Ascent, and you are sane. Demure, you are straightway dangerous and handled with a chain. Phillips, and uh, as usual, that's uh, Steve Baker, who's pushing the knob, not, uh, twirling the knob, spinning the dials, and and taking care of the technical end of this whole foo-fara. Uh, and those are, of course, the Borsdorfs, whom I never tire of announcing, since I regard them some of the finest musicians in North America. That poem that I recited at the beginning was from Emily Dickinson. And, of course, Nevada City... California is heading into the spring. Uh, the quinces are in bloom. The daffodils are well up. Fecundity is rife. Our car, which was flattened during the last big snowstorm by a falling tree, uh, has been rec- resurrected into a more recent incarnation. This is uh, has been Women's Month, and. I really want to congratulate our our community station here who has done an absolutely marvelous job with Women's Month and International Women's Day. Uh, the programming has been absolutely superb. I wanted to add to that effort by doing a program about women who have who have strongly affected my life. And, of course, the ones who leapt into mine immediately were um, Helen Keller and uh, Dorothy Day, um, Elizabeth Gurley Flynn, Emma Goldman, and so on. Um, the power for powerful, extraordinary women who led those extraordinary lives. But then I thought, well, I know sometime I want to do a show on anarchists, and especially anarchist women. So I decided what I wanted to do was to talk about and play the music of women who are closer to my own life as I live it, as I get through the world, and help to shape the way that I get through the world, to help to shape my sense of poetry, and um, and how songs are made, where songs come from. That poem of Emily Dickinson is about, well, it has that line in there about dissent, about dissenters uh, very often being called crazy. Well, in Utah, of course, I was a, a, a prominent dissenter, and I was damn proud of it, and I finally got blacklisted and had to leave the state. Not that I did anything wrong, I did everything right. And as I've always said, you want to do something good for yourself, go to Utah and get thrown out. Well, there I was on the road, $75 in my pocket, an old beat-up VW bus, driving off the edge of the world, headed east. Well, I fetched up at Cafe Lena in Saratoga Springs, New York, a place run by Lena Spencer. Uh, Kind of a dark upstairs room, maybe hold 100 people at best. Um, It had been going, well, it's still going on, so it's been going on now for about uh, maybe uh, uh, 40 years. Um, but it was run by Lena Spencer. Lena Spencer of an Italian family, large, ebullient, 
uh, full of light, uh, voluble, a lot of language, a lot of arm waving. She took folk singers in. She took me in like she took in so many others. And very often the first time that they ever played, ever sang in front of an audience, was at the Cafe Lena. And not only did she give us a place to, to sing, she gave us food, the, the wonderful community suppers of, of over-the-road folkies. And I'm not talking about people, um, you know, staying in motels and, and uh, going to the big stage. I'm talking about people sleeping on couches and playing in front of 25 or 30 people in a, in a, in a coffee house in the basement of a church. And it gave us places to stay. So often at night I slept under the, uh, her dining room table, uh, fending off... Uh, Dust devils the size of small sheep. Lena. Lena taught me the trade. Lena put me into the trade. She taught me who to talk to, how to talk to them. Um, I was an unemployed organizer. Because of Lena Spencer, I changed trades and became a traveling singer and a storyteller. But also I was listening to music I'd never heard before. Now, I was from Utah. There was a whole lot I had never heard of before. I was hearing music that was, well, let's call it transgenerational. People around me were writing songs out of the stories of their parents, of their grandparents, of their great-grandparents that was rooted in the ground where they lived and where they worked. One of those was Teresina Huxtable, um, upstate New York. Works with a, I don't know if, they, I don't know if they're still going, the, uh, the group is called Huxtable, Christensen, and Hood. Uh, singing remarkable music. Teresina Huxtable wrote out of stories that her grandfather told her. She always said she wrote this song, I'm going to play it, to let her grandfather know that she didn't fall asleep while he was talking. Um, this is her grand, a song about her grandfather's recollection. This whole idea was new to me, since there was no transgenerational contact in my whole family ever since we moved to Utah. Um, from her grandfather's recollections, it's late George 1922, steaming up dark waters that are well defined by pines. Steaming up dark waters that are well defined by pines. Looking up the carbon stacks make straight and sturdy lines. Sagamore and Horicum. Song forge our journeying to that rhythm through the waters of Lake Stop to think about the ranger trap 
music was my introduction to the whole Adirondack region, to the old Lake George region, a, a, a very, very old region. I love the, those ideas of the steamships on Lake George going places where the roads didn't go yet and how the uh, one of the steamships sank and, and how the, the kids used to be able to dive off of their rowboats and swim through the dining room and gather up silverware. Well, as I say, that was a new kind of music to me that was that was transgenerational. You know, the the singer-songwriters that I was around, and there were a good many of them, were very, very fortunate, I think, compared to the singer-songwriters today. I mean, I, I, I sound like I keep faulting them, and they are writing wonderful songs and writing great poetry. What I'm saying is that we were in the the great folk music scare, the commercial folk revival, one of the advantages of which was that these traditional people like Almeida Riddle from uh, from Missouri or Hobart Smith, um, the great black musicians, Mississippi John Hurt and so on, were going to the folk festivals. So the young songwriters who were also going to the same festivals were exposed to their elders were able to learn from them. And that's why the songs, the new songs that came out of the 1960s and early 70s, um, used those verse models, used those tune models, that, that vastly simple music that had been passed on uh, over, over a great many years. And consequently, so many of the songs that they wrote, like Tom Paxton's songs, who listened and learned, are being passed on today and are... Uh, still being sung as an extension of that tradition. Had the opportunity to share the stage many times with Almeida Riddle. Now, I met her in her late 70s. She was born in 1898 in the foothills of the Missouri uh, Ozarks. Her father, well, he hewed ties for the railroad. But from him, she learned the old ballad songs. And from her mother, um, she, she recalled... Uh, to all of us, how her mother sang music while she was washing clothes in a, in a wooden tub out in front of the in front of their cabin. Um, how she was uh, she made music or sang songs while she was uh, washing the dishes or, or doing ironing. Um, it, it wasn't some, there was no radio to listen to. Uh, you entertained yourself and you entertained the people around you. Uh, she learned those old ballads, and uh, and they were part of her life. It was. After her husband died in a cyclone, uh, she spent most of her life working as a nurse and a companion. 
but until finally she was discovered by the folklorists and then discovered by the people doing folk music festivals and was invited to sing at them. And I suppose it was good for her, too, to be among all those young people who were willing to listen, who were willing to pay attention, and who understood that listening to Almeida Riddle was like going to the well and taking out what you want and what you need. Well, of course, that was all new to me. Let's listen to one of those old songs, Almeda Riddle, singing uh, the Nightingale song. One morning, one morning, one morning in May, I spied a young couple a-making their way. Now one was a soldier, oh, brave one was he, and the other a lady, and a fine one was she. And it's where are you going, said the soldier so free. Well, I'm going to yon river, it's a-flowing for me. I'm a-going to that river, and I'll sit by the spring, and I'll watch the water glide in near the night, and Gail sang. And may I go with you as you journey along. If I may go with you, I'll sing you a song. I sing the old concordance and I'll make my fiddle ring and we'll watch the water gliding here nightingale sing. Send the lady to the soldier, I'm lonesome and blue. And I think from your action that you're lonesome too. We'll just walk together and sit by the spring And we'll watch the water glide and hear the nightingale sing Well, after they'd been there for an hour or two Out from his satchel his violin he drew He played the old concord and so he made that fit ring And they'd watch the water glide and hear nightingale sing Said the soldier to the lady, it's time I should go No, no, wept the lady, play me just one tune more for I had rather hear you fiddle or just tap a string than to watch the water glide and hear the nightingale sing. So he tuned his old fiddle to a much higher key. He played the shamrock of Aaron, oh, he played it so free. He played the shamrock of Aaron and he made that fiddle ring. Then they'd watch the water glide and hear nightingale sing. Said the lady to the soldier, would you marry me? Oh no, my dear lady, that never could be. I've a sweet wife in Scotland and children twice three. And that with the army is a plenty for me. Goodbye, said the soldier with a parting caress. For tomorrow I must be at the throne of Queen Bess. 
If I ever come back, it will be in the spring, and we'll watch the water glide and hear nightingales sing. Goodbye, said the lady, and gave him her hand. I'll think of you often in Ireland's fair land. For I had rather hear you fiddle or just tap a string than to watch water glide and hear nightingales sing. I'll meet a riddle. Um, oh, she's been long gone out of all of our lives for quite a while, but those songs are like going to the well. Sarah Ogan Gunning, yeah, I met her also in her 70s. Sarah Ogan Gunning had the eyes of a fawn, the eyes of a 16-year-old girl. She was raised in Kentucky in the hardest of times. Uh, Aunt Molly Jackson's relative Aunt Molly Jackson, uh, a sister to Jim Garland, a, a mine organizer in the coal mines. This was at a time when... Well, up to that time, the the uh, people who owned the farms, who farmed that land, were swindled into selling off the mineral rights for 25 cents an acre, only to have the big machines come up and, and strip mine and rip out the mountains and bury the graveyards and bulldoze the houses, you see, and drive the people out, or at least make their wells and their streams run to black sand. Sarah Ogan grew up with that, you understand. But she also grew up with that same ballad tradition that Almeida Riddle did, the songs that migrated from England, from Scotland, from Ireland, and then generation after generation were passed along, changed, adapted. Sarah Ogan Gunning, well, she understood that that great tradition isn't carved in stone. What she was able to do, given the trouble that she found herself and her kin in, she had lost kin in the mines. She had had children die from starvation uh, during the mine strikes when they weren't able to get food into the strike camps. She had had a hard, hard life. She reached into that well, and she pulled these old songs forward into time. She and the people around her did, Jim Garland and Aunt Molly Jackson, and they refashioned them into new songs that talked about the condition of where they are. That was a great lesson to me, you understand. Another way to, if I was going to go to the well, how to use that tradition. Well, no, it isn't carved in stone. And like I said before, it is yours. And you can make it do whatever you want. You can take out of it whatever you you need. Let's listen to Sarah Ogan Gunning singing that 25 cents. That strip mine. I'm dumping that clay mud right down over the graveyard. they destroying the beauty of the country and everything else. Even the drinking water, they destroying it. They, you can't drink it because it's, you know, that chemical that they wash that coal in, it goes right down in that water and you couldn't drink and save your life. Sad the day when I saw the steam shovels a-coming, the clank of their wheels as they clattered along deep in my heart a voice seemed to be saying goodbye my sweet home you soon will be gone in 18 and 80 my folks were rejoicing 
did so the mineral rights on the farm for 25 cents a acre they sold them my folks didn't know they would do any harm leave them alone please do not disturb them don't dump the yellow clay mud over their grave although the law may say you have a right to because of that 25 cents that you paid this house it was the home of my father his father and mother they live there too don't dump the yellow clay mud over their grave although the law may say you have a right to because of the 25 cents that you paid don't force me to leave this house i was born in don't force me to leave the land dear to me just take back the 25 cents that you gave them and just go away and please let us be Sarah Ogengunning Lord I miss her you know she was exiled from Kentucky I lived in Detroit for a long long time but meeting her at the festivals well it sure changed my songwriting around. <clears throat> that was that recording by the May was uh, it was made outdoors. <clears throat> Excuse me, made outdoors. Uh, you could hear the crickets in there. Is that a a school, uh, the, a Highlander Folk School down in Newmarket, Tennessee? Is a school for organizers, uh, organized by Miles Horton and some others. Uh, Miles Horton had this idea that if people experiencing the same problem a racism or a literacy problem or strip mining could get together in one place and sit in a circle and tell each other their life stories. Eventually, they would ri- arrive at some shape of a solution to their problem. And by God, it's worked year after year after year. Well, that's what a session that, that she was singing at. Then you heard those were all of her hill people that were with her, and, and she started to sing, they started to hum and to harmonize along with her because they all had the habit of, uh, of singing themselves. Well, then, my habit of songwriting up to that point was writing outside of myself, things that happened in the world around me. Uh, I would write about that. I always said to myself, uh, nothing happens inside my head unless something happens outside of it first. And that that proved not to be universally true, given the songmakers that I was being exposed to. There were a whole bunch of them that were not writing about that external landscape, but running about an internal landscape. Songs about relationships and all of the things that can go right and all of the things that can go wrong. And you know, damn it, some of that music, when I first started hearing it, was embarrassing. I say, I don't have a right to know those things. Are you sure you want to expose yourself that much to me? And and by God, you know, as time marched on, um, even though I thought it was too personal, 
I began to think maybe I do need to know these things. And of course, that took my my song making in a, an entirely different direction. Um, and that, that doesn't mean that those songs were all turgid or those songs were all sad or painful. Uh, well, look, here's up there in Madison, Wisconsin, some folks I ran into by the name of Lou and Peter Berryman um, were making songs about all kinds of landscapes, but this one gets in there. Um, now, I didn't hear songs like this in the 40s or the 50s. Uh, did you? Uh, Lou and Peter Berryman singing Pass the Pepper. Now I don't think treated lumber's really crucial for the railing. Pass the pepper. I've been thinking should we feed the birds or not? Because this year they really need it. Don't you think we should get cedar instead of pine? Although it may be hard if we're away alive. Although that cedar is expensive. Pass the pepper. Then again we could live extra when we're gone, I guess. But it does hold up good. This is delicious broccoli salad. Though it splits a little easy Though it needs a dash of pepper, don't you think? It's better wood Pass the pepper Pass the pepper Dear nobody else will listen like you do So I'll go and buy the cedar So I will fill up the feeder I'm so glad that I can bounce this off of you Say I tried all by myself to put the wallboard on the ceiling their coffee. Say my sister called to say she has the flu and she's just sick for entertaining. First I tried to use a two by four support. And mom and dad were gonna drop in on them too. And though I finally put a piece up, is there coffee? So of course I said the town come see us instead. I gave my dad a call. How would you like a cup of coffee? Turns out mom is coming with him. We could use a little sank, don't you think? The dog and all. Here's the sank Where's the coffee? Dear nobody else will listen like you do. So my folks are coming Thursday. So my folks are coming Thursday. I am so, so glad that, that I could bounce this off of you. Boy, it does depress me lately when I look into the mirror. Where's the napkin? Dear, I understand we aren't millionaires, but could we get an old piano? What with all the extra padding on my butt? Well, I don't know. How could we get it up the stairs? My face is turned into a biscuit. Where's the napkins? I suppose we'll have to scrape it down and varnish it. My hair is lying flat. Boy, this is really greasy pizza. And it's turning gray in patches. Anyway, what do you think about it, dear? I need a hat. Where's the napkins? Where's the napkins? Dear, nobody else will listen like you do. I feel older every minute. So I'll go and find a spinning. I'm so glad that I could bounce this off of you. Dear nobody else will listen like you do. Lou and Peter Berryman from Madison, Wisconsin. Does that song tell the truth? Does that song maybe tell a little bit more than you want to know about you and the person you're sitting with right now? Hmm. Well, yeah. Well, now, Kathy Fink and Marcy Markser record a lot of music for kids. That was also new, very new to me uh, when I came into the East. I knew, I knew a horde of kids' songs, but they were the old ones, you know. They were... Um, 
a froggy would a wooing go or the blue tail file learned from old burl lives records and so on um the new children's music uh, as it began to emerge about 30 years ago well it was really new to me because it was dealing with with real issues it wasn't just to pacify kids or to put them to sleep but it was to rattle their chain and um and I don't know, I, I've learned some of that music, and I've learned how to make some of that music. In fact, people have asked me very often why I don't make a, a record for the children's market. And I say, because there isn't any children's market, because they don't have any money. Most of that music is written for adults. They're the ones that consume it, and then they foist it off on their children as children's music. Now, Kathy Fink and Marcy Marks have been nominated a number of times for a Grammy Award uh, in the, in the uh, children's records, and they never win. Why? Because their songs cut a little bit too close to the bone, uh, for the most part. Uh, you don't, you know, in a in a commercial enterprise like the Grammys, you know, a commercial market, you don't want to write songs telling kids to to uh, throw the television set out the window, now, do you? <clears throat> well, I suppose I ought to congratulate them. Uh, I call them up every year and congratulate them for not winning the Grammy, but uh, telling the truth instead. Yeah, writing for kids. Well, we're going to play one song that really struck me by Kathy Fink uh, that fits in very, very well with the song you just heard about Pass the Pepper. I'm really glad that I could talk to you about this. Here's Kathy Fink and um, a little girl by the name of Tara singing Talk to Me. There are pictures and sounds that we cannot understand Feelings that confuse us and you know you need a friend Some days we feel lucky, some days feel upside down Every day you know I'll be around So you can talk to me and tell me what you see Talk to me about what you just heard Find the words for what's inside your heart And I'll hold you while you talk to me Draw for me a picture of your thoughts Paint for me the colors of your dreams There are many so many things and I love it when you draw for me This world is bigger than all of us Outside or even watching the TV A scrape upon the knee or something that you see You know that you can always come to me
Well, Blind Kenny Hall playing the mandolin there down in Fresno, California. I wonder how Kenny's doing. You know, when I get home, I'm going to call him up on the phone and, and find out how he fares through the world. I guess he's getting close to his late 70s now. Faith Petrick. Well, I met her when I first started traveling out west into California here, uh, singing songs, telling stories. You know, anybody who knows the tricks, who has a good agent, uh, can, can, knows how to become famous. Uh, I remember when Dorothy Day, when I first met Dorothy Day back in New York City, taking her Ammon Hennessy's greetings, and I met her at the Catholic Worker House, and I, I, she asked what I was up to, and I told her uh, that I was going to try to make a living telling stories and singing songs. She said, well, remember that fame corrupts the house of the soul. Like I say, anybody can learn how to be famous if they know the tricks, but well-known, that's a different thing. How many famous people do you know? Uh, people that are out, who are famous, do you really know? Are they well-known to you? Well, no. Faith Petrick is well-known because how do you get well-known? Well, you show up for 40 years and do the work. That's basically how. And she's always showed up, and she's always done the work. She is not a song maker, but a song finder. She has exquisite taste in what she chooses to sing, for the most part. Uh, she's the one who taught me to say, when asked, do you sing only your own songs? I could say, no, there are too many good songs. She also started the San Francisco Folk Music Club up there it's, oh, 40 years ago at 885 Clayton in San Francisco. Uh, the, you go to that house when it's uh, uh, the club night, and you're greeted at the door, and somebody will say, you want ballads, you want new songs, you want bluegrass, you want string band, and directed to a different part of the house. And that house is alive with music, people sharing their own music. And, uh, and sharing their lives. They have their own campouts. They have their own getaways, you know, uh, over holidays, uh, in-house festivals where they sing to each other, sharing food and music as a holy activity. Uh, Patrick, I guess, is about 85 right now. And you know where she is? She's back in Australia working a whole string of, of folk festivals. Well, what I have to owe Faith Patrick is the experience of folk music as a community activity, as part of the cement that holds the community together in a rational way. Well, let's listen to Faith Petrick sing a, a Berryman song. Here's to Mother Nature. She made the Georgia peaches, the California beaches, cliffs along the moonlight bay. The lindens and the larches, the metatarsal arches, molybdenum and DNA. Here's to Mother Nature, here's to Mother Nature, for dreaming up the moon and sun. We'd better break it gently, but it seems that evidently nearly all her work is done. And she's been standing in the way of progress. Someone ought to sit her down. Except for a couple of window boxes She doesn't have a place in town We appreciate her efforts But we've got to make it clear She's standing in the way of progress 
we can take it on from here. She said, I beg your pardon, but would you spare my garden when you put your pipeline through? Your wires and your towers electrocute my flowers, and would you spare my bird bath too? Here's to Mother Nature, here's to Mother Nature, I do believe she works quite hard. But there is only one way that we can build that runway, and that is through her big backyard. And she's been standing in the way of progress, someone ought to sit her down. Except for a couple of window boxes, she doesn't have a place in town. We appreciate her efforts, but we've got to make it clear. She's standing in the way of progress. We can take it on from here. We tolerate her twisters, her poison ivy blisters. Learn to love her grouse and floods. We do a couple of dishes, and she bellies up the fishes and blames it on a few soap suds. Here's to Mother Nature, here's to Mother Nature, a little overworked, no doubt. I hope that she can make it, but she doesn't seem to take it as well as she can dish it out. And she's been standing in the way of progress. Someone ought to sit her down. Except for a couple of window boxes, she doesn't have a place in town. Now we appreciate her efforts, but we've got to make it clear. She's standing in the way of progress. We can take it on from here. No one would deny her the option to retire. We'll put her in a lovely home. With artificial flowers and automated showers, she will never need to roam. Oh, here's to Mother Nature, here's to Mother Nature. We know she needs a good long rest. She acted like a child and just let things grow wild. It's obvious that we know best. And she's been standing in the way of progress. Someone ought to sit her down. Except for a couple of window boxes, she doesn't have a place in town. Now we appreciate her efforts, but we've got to make it clear. She's standing in the way of progress. We can take it on from here. Faith Patrick, a strong voice charging through the world like a like a cow in a china shop. Well, let's bring it a little bit closer to home now. Uh, women who have been very close to my life, uh, well, for a long, long time. One of my childhood memories is down there in Terminal Towers, outside Terminal Towers, the plaza in Cleveland, Ohio, where I was born, watching the old men uh, and old women buy peanuts from the peanut vendors and then feed the, feed the pigeons. What was I doing there? Well, my mother was up in the top of that enormous building, which was Higby's department store, uh, working as a fashion model. How come? Well, she was a radical woman, born in Kansas to a, oh, an Episcopalian sort of family. Her, her father was an English soldier of fortune, Colonel Stephen George Coates, who was kind of in and out of their lives, uh, mainly out. 
She worked, uh, went to college, worked briefly for the CIO, Congress of Industrial Organizations. She has a, a strong working-class sense and a strong feminist sense when those ideas weren't awfully popular. She married uh, my father, who was a communist, and they separated after a while when my brother and I were little. And uh, the, there she was, was a young mother with two uh, uh, small children, and uh, what kind of work could you do in the, in the late Depression? She got a job as a fashion model for Higby Brothers. She was a tall, large woman, long-stemmed American beauty. That's when you didn't have to be anorexic to be a model, by God. She modeled Garbo hats. Uh, my stepfather, Sid Cohen, courted her off of the runway as he and the other young bravos would go up there uh, to have lunch and watch the models come down the runway modeling the new clothes and the, and the Garbo hats. Well, moved us out to Salt Lake in 1947, and that was a whole different world, but I've talked about that on other programs. My mother read everything. She knew most everything. She was loud, voluble, a model of loquacity, highly opinionated, um, capable of enormous swings of mood. She, she, she played her emotions like a harp, like a, like a piano, a grand piano. Uh, she, it's because of her that I almost fell prey to that most dismal of diseases, being a know-it-all which disease I have been trying to overcome for a number of decades now. Yes, my mother was problematical. I learned from, but I learned from her about words, and I learned from her about, about feelings. Well, when we were boys in Salt Lake City, the first house we had, it was hard to get us up to go to school because our neighborhood and our school were so damn boring. So we had an old record player in the front room, a console with the radio in it, and she could lift up the top, and it, all we had were 78 records that we had brought out from Cleveland. And she would put one of those on and turn the volume up as high as she could at 7 o'clock in the morning to get us out of bed. Oh, God, sometimes it was this high, pipey Sicilian Tarantella, and now and then it was Spike Jones. But dollars to donuts, it was uh, had been a neighbor of ours in, uh, ours in Cleveland. It was Mickey Katz and his... Uh, his kosher jammers. Well, here's one of those. Here's one of our wake-up songs. Now, uh, Mom, wherever you're sleeping out there, I sure hope this wakes you up. <laughs> He's the top. 
was seht ihr suchen? Heifels, Kreisler, Rennen, Norden. Kozatsky. Can you imagine waking up to that? Oh, boy. Well, it sure woke me up again. Those songs, I hope you were hurling your body about the kitchen. That's what songs like that require. Well, now, close to my life, in fact, close to me geographically at the moment, is my sister Deborah Cohen. She's right on the other side of the glass here, wondering probably what I'm going to say about her, so I'd probably better be a little careful. Deborah is the great wanderer. She's so much like her mother in, in stature and in temperament. I think she, she moves with panache and elan through various alien worlds. She could say with conviction in the words of Gamble Rogers, the Lord gives me grace and the devil gives me style. She called me from Timbuktu, that's in North Africa, in a country called Mali. She had uh, doing a uh, managing a tour for Ali Farka Touré, the great Malian musician. But that's what she's been doing for years, is traveling all over, well, over the Western world anyway, uh, with Brazilian groups and um, all kinds of people. She is a wanderer, and she she keeps that spirit alive. In, in me, you know, to, to never let go of that. Well, I asked her what it was that I, I, I should play for her, what it was that, um, what music she could give me that was of, of music that she enjoyed the most. And she handed me a record from Molly of a woman by the name of Rokia Treore. Rokia Treore. It's written out phonetically here. Um, a young woman a feminist in a strict Muslim society, using traditional instruments, although her voice goes in a lot of different directions, speaking out in her music against decision and against arranged marriage. Now, this song is a duet. 
song called Mansapera, a duet with Karkar, who's the godfather of modern Malian music. He's uh, 65. And she's asking why she can't do as she pleases with all the hoo-ha of marriage. And he's replying, well, you need the security of marriage and rack a rack a rack And she's saying, uh, come on, marriage is a prison. And then it goes back and forth, this duet. And finally he concedes, well, maybe you're right. Maybe it is time for a change. Here's Rokira Tore, Tohire, excuse me, and uh, Mensapera. <laughs> character in my life as I live it today, my wife Joanna Robinson. Joanna has a little one-room shack or a tiny house up the hill in the Cedar Grove where she does her writing. Yes, she is a writer and has been a prodigious great struggle for her to learn to, to teach herself how to assert that in the world. And uh, now she goes up there early in the morning and sometimes until the mid-afternoon. She does what she's best at. She writes. She calls the little house Marmal Bog Hall. <laughs> and um, Joanna, I, won't, I wouldn't say Joanna has a hard time getting out of the 19th century. She doesn't need to. It's her natural habitat, just like the, the first half of the 20th century is my natural habitat, and I don't want out of it at all. She's perfectly comfortable there. I, I, it suffices to say, if she walks into a room where there's a television set on, she will walk out. Here's my wife, Joanna Robinson. This is a poem to her son, Nicholas, when he graduated from college up at Humboldt State, up there in, uh, in Arcata, Northern California. The poem when they went walking in a forest after the graduation. Poem to Nicholas. Graduation Day. A mother says goodbye. For Nicholas. 
When all is done this day, the redwood forest round us sings goodbye, and you and I must go. Though pressing tide of time would flush us from our sunset-dappled wood, and friends whose ends you will not know await you in the park below, come, take my hand, and let us walk once more among these farewell trees. Look west and see the passing of the day. The sun, a crimson lotus on its brink of sea, is falling fast away and casting radiant petals in its wake. There my course is set, and yours, and like the shedding sun, one day we too will fall and float away. Let us pass then slowly through this first finality. Let us linger in the waving trees and hearken to the sighing petals as they fall from sight. For when we leave... Your way will part from mine, and I must go without you to the looming of the night. Well, thanks for being here for this one. You've been listening to Loafer's Glory, the hobo jungle of the mind. My name is Utah Phillips. From May Swenson. I walk a path that a mountain crosses. I am walking toward the mountain. I have been making the path, I suppose, its trace is behind me. I see how it goes ahead of me also. Perhaps I make it with my eyes. Then have I made the mountain also? More likely the mountain makes itself and lets me walk here, or it lets the path come upon it, and whatever may be on the path may approach. Why not? <laughs> 